Let's all stand together as we reverence the reading of the Word of God this morning. We're going to be looking in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. A message I call, What Does It Mean to Be Good? He has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? May God bless the reading of His Word today. It's my prayer. You may be seated. I can't imagine how many times that I've said it over the years. But for every time I've said it, I think my mama has said it back to me at least once or twice. Uh, Be good. Be good. Drop your kids off to school. Be good. You're going to be gone for a couple of days, leaving the kids home by themselves. I guarantee you, y'all better be good. I heard that a lot. Even after I was grown and surrendered to preach, my mama still told me, be good. Being a preacher, I always wanted to say to her, you know, uh, you know, the Bible says, mom, there's none good. No, not one. (laughs) Now, if your parents ever tell you be good and you're inclined maybe to say, well, you know, the Bible said there's none good. You restrain yourself just like I did. (laughs) Oh, I tell you, be good. What's it mean? Well, we use it in a lot of different ways. Somebody asks you, how you doing? I'm good. But we'll also say, you want some more coffee? No, I'm good. We can uh, apply a lot of different meanings to the whole concept. And it shouldn't surprise us then that the Bible speaks often about good and goodness. Uh, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit... Is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith. Ephesians 5, 9, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Goodness, then, is presented as a fruit of the Spirit. If you're saved this morning, the mighty Spirit of God lives in you. And part of the fruit that He bears in your life, and you'll notice again and again in Scripture, it's not fruits of the Spirit, it is fruit of the Spirit. That is, the Spirit in you and me bears fruit. Uh, Like any fruit, it has a lot of different ingredients. One of the ingredients of the fruit of the Spirit in your life and mine is goodness. Goodness. But still we ask, even knowing that it's the fruit of the Spirit, what does it mean to be good? For many people today, the emphasis seems to be on feeling good. And even that takes on a variety of connotations for us. On the physical side, to feel good is a product of good health, uh, or reasonably good health. Uh, We're able to get around. We might not be buff, but we do the things that we enjoy doing. We're able to go and do pretty much like we want to. Uh, It may not mean free of pain. Even a lot of things that we do that are helpful to us uh, uh, can cause a certain amount of soreness. And uh, in fact, uh, that's one of the ways that we know sometimes that it's doing us some good. Uh, But at the same time, I know that some of you suffer from chronic illnesses, debilitating And for you, just feeling good. Oh, what a joy it would be just to go through a day feeling good. There's an emotional side to feeling good. 
a state of mind where we're basically happy and enjoying our life. I'm feeling good today. How you doing? I'm feeling good. I, I feel good. I'm emotionally happy. I'm, I'm free for the most part from those horrible feelings of depression, anxiety, or personal torment. Uh, some of you might remember that old uh, praise and worship band from the 60s, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. And uh, some of you, many of you don't remember uh, people say I'm the life of the party because I tell a joke or two. Uh, although I might be laughing loud and hearty, deep inside I'm blue. Yes, a part of me wants to sing it. I'm restraining myself. So take a good, <laughs> good look at my face. You know, you'll see my smile looks out of pace, place if you look closer. It's easy to trace the tracks of my tears. A lot of people smiling through life. I'm good, but they're not good. They're not feeling good at all. Not physically, not emotionally. When you're tired and down and discouraged and troubled and sick, I mean, feeling good is the main thing you want in life. I mean, it just is, it's, it, it can be threatening to us because everything, when you get in that state, everything, listen, that has ever given you pleasure can become a temptation to you, almost compulsively so. And we understand why drugs and alcohol are quick fixes of that, as are sex and food and other things that people turn to. Therapists call it self-medicating. Why? People just want to feel good, and they're drawn to things almost on a subconscious level uh, that they know offers them comfort and peace and makes them feel good. Uh, can you imagine what the uh, pharmaceutical industry would do with a pill that made you feel good? Uh, can you, uh, that'd be right up with that skinny pill. <laughs> oh. The problem is that the pleasures of life are fleeting. The Bible talks about the pleasures of sin, which were but for a season. And though the things of the flesh may give us some temporary reprieve, uh, uh, the fact is they often leave us feeling worse and worse about ourselves. Because we can't believe that we've gone back to this or done this again. And how I thought I was done. How, how could we be back doing this again? That's uh, what the flesh so often does. When we're talking about being good in a scriptural connotation, we're talking about the character. The character. What we are. That inner person that we know ourselves to be and that God knows us to be. Maybe we can identify a bit then with what Paul the Apostle wrote in Romans chapter 7 and verse 18. He said, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Nothing good. Not in my flesh. And he goes on then to describe how the flesh operates. Uh, the flesh gives you a will. That is, the will is present with me. I, I want to do good. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. You identify with that passage this morning? Now, if the gospel message stopped there, we might well ask ourselves the question, what's the point then? 
But it didn't stop there. Because you keep reading and you get to Romans chapter 8 and where the Holy Spirit is mentioned one time in the book of Romans and that's in chapter 1 in the greeting. In in chapter 8 the Holy Spirit is mentioned 19 times. And he goes on then to describe how that if Christ is in you, verse 10, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we're debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. We're believers in Christ. Because we're believers in Christ, the mighty Spirit of God lives inside of us. If it was just up to our flesh, then we would be left as He found us in chapter 7. I know that in my flesh dwells nothing good, and my flesh gives me a lot of desires, but how to fulfill that? I mean, the flesh would like to be good, it'd like to improve itself, like to be better, but the flesh really has no capacity to make us that way. The Spirit of God does. The flesh would call you to try harder, work harder, be tougher. The same flesh will feel bad if you fail and turn back to the old sins and struggles that you've had in the flesh. But listen, we're under no obligation as believers to the flesh because of the presence of the Spirit of God. This is an ongoing relationship. It requires our prayer, our constant dependence on Him, and our reliance on Him. Generally, in this battle with the flesh and our attempts to be good, we'll say, well, you know, I'm just not strong enough. That's not the case. Most of us are too strong for our own good. (laughs) When it comes to flesh, I mean, we're used to relying on the flesh. We're smart. We're intelligent people. Uh, We've got strengths and abilities. We can figure this thing out. Uh... There's a part in us, and although I can take this to a particularly male level, I think there's a part in all of us that just hates going to the doctor because we hate having to admit that I can't doctor myself and get myself better. And I know that's a male characteristic, but I think we've all got a little bit of that. And in these days, this day and time, my goodness, we've got Siri and Google, and sometimes we end up talking to them a lot more than we talk to God when we've got a problem. The fact is the Holy Spirit lives in us. and He's convicting us. He speaks to us through His Word. He speaks to us through our spirit in that work of convicting. He is constantly working on us. But if we're not careful, we'll give Him the silent treatment. We try to go through life making it on our own, and the results of that are predictable. When it comes to good, we want it all. We want to look good, feel good, have a good time, have all the goods, and generally be a good good person, whatever that means, and however we spell it out for ourselves. Mm. The Bible looks at it in a slightly different way. He has shown you, oh man, what is good. He, that's God, has shown you, oh man, what is good. And the first thing that he tells us that's good is for us to do justly, and that speaks to us of our salvation experience. He has shown the old man what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but do justly. 
This means to do right, to do what is good, to make good choices about what to do and not to do, what to say and not to say, to be good and to do good. But the fact is we do good because we are good and there's really no other source for that. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 20, For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. So if we ask the question, well, do I do good? Uh, Do I do what's right? The answer would probably be, I try, sometimes, most of the time, part of the time. But the Bible points out there is nobody who does what is right all the time. There was only one who did. And he was nailed to a cross for your sake and for mine. Now, while that is true, there are a number of passages that speak of a good man or a good person. Psalms 37 and 23, I just put these up here for you. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. A good man delights in God's way. Psalm 112, verse 5, a good man showeth favor and lendeth. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Proverbs 12 and 2, a good man obtaineth favor of the Lord, but a man of wicked devices will he condemn. Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. Matthew 12, 35, Jesus said, a good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. That's critical. For us to understand. You see, if we do justly, it is because we are just. And if we are just, it is because we've been justified. That means declared righteous according to the law. And Jesus has very clearly spelled that out for us in this passage. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart. That is, he's good in his heart. And there's only one thing that can make us good in our heart, and that is to be S-A-V-E-D, saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. He changes us and makes us a new creation so that then there is good in our hearts. Now we might think, as according with a, a, a common perception of humanity today, uh, that there's good in everybody. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That every man, every man, every person has turned aside to his own way. And he sees us then. God sees us as shaping in iniquity. And even in sin where we conceive all of our life. (coughs) Excuse me then. We live under the power of sin. We always have. And it's only the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that sets us free. From the power of sin and death. There's none good. No, not one. But Jesus Christ, once he has changed us on the inside, gives us then the power to do good things. It's a great example, Acts chapter 11, verse 24, in the Bible speaking of Barnabas. And it says this, 
He was a good man. <laughs> How'd you like to have ended up in the Word of God, the Bible? As <laughs> having the Bible say, he was a good man. He was a good man. Barnabas was a good man. He was, why? Because he was full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. You ever met someone that you would say was a good man? A good woman? If you will, a good person. They were full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. It's what made Barnabas a good man. If you've known a good man or a good woman, then that's what happened to them as well. They were full of faith. They put their faith in Jesus Christ, and they were full of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Summarize these passages then, and you'll find that a good man, according to these things that the Bible says and many others, is a person who follows God's leadership, who is generous and delights in blessing others, but also shows discretion while they do it. A good person finds favor and blessing from God. And one of those blessings is to leave an inheritance for your grandchildren, not just your children. A good person has a good heart. And the good things he does is a reflection then of the good heart that's on the inside. What does it mean to be good? What does it mean to do good? Well, doing good is a matter of being good. And being good means being justified. Have you been saved this morning? Has there been a time in your life where you admitted your weakness? You admitted your, your lack of strength? You admitted your sin to Almighty God? And on the basis of what Jesus Christ did on Calvary, you then put your faith and trust in Him, and you called on the Lord Jesus Christ. And ask Him to forgive you of your sin and be your Savior. The Bible calls that being born again. You experienced it. It's hard for me to define, but if you've had it happen to you, you know what it was. You never forget it. It is the joy of sins forgiven. The assurance that comes to us that Jesus Christ now lives in my life. People describe that experience in different ways. I never will forget one lady who said, you know, when she was saved, she was an 11-year-old girl. She said, I felt so different that I went up and looked in the mirror to see if I looked different. <laughs> now, that might not have been your experience at all. Uh, I remember that I was burdened under the power of sin, even as a 7-year-old boy. I understood that the wages of sin was death. I understood that if I died, I was going to hell. I was scared. I felt the burden of that. And as I prayed to Jesus, as my pastor led me in that prayer, I felt that fear go away. And it's been gone ever since. I fear God, but I don't fear hell. Jesus Christ has made the difference in that. Have you received Christ as your Savior? So to be just, to do justly, is only possible if we've been justified. That Jesus Christ then has the power to change our heart. And that changed heart then 
shows up on the outside. As we are good, according to God, we do good. Then God says, love mercy. Love mercy. And if being just speaks of salvation, then loving mercy speaks to us of sinners. Sinners. To love mercy. You see, if we're a person who makes good choices and does the right thing most of the time, or some of the time, or at least part of the time, and we've avoided the meltdowns that come from making bad choices, we might be tempted to say, well, I'm pretty good. But God has another aspect to that, and that is to love mercy. You see, God does not leave mercy in our minds and hearts as a theoretical concept. I'm glad I've got it. Because if God has shown you mercy, now He asks you to do something. Show mercy. If God has given you mercy, now He tells you something else. Give mercy. If you've received mercy, give it. If you've received it, give it. And you do so in a loving way. You love mercy. See, if we're not careful, uh, then there will be a temptation on our part to be prideful, maybe turn us into intolerant and judgmental people. So Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Luke chapter 6 and verse 36, Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. You see, He doesn't leave it in theory, just as a concept, but He asks us to put mercy into practice. And that means that we're going to have to deal with people in our life, maybe who aren't being good, who aren't good at all, maybe who aren't even being good to us. Love mercy. When we consider the perspective of the world at large, we'll we'll find a lot of people out there who, who need mercy. And they need to discover that Christians can be merciful because they only think of us for the most part as being intolerant and judgmental and hateful. They need to know that we're merciful. You know, Jesus Christ lived a life of absolute goodness, and yet he was called the friend of sinners. He spent a lot of time with them. They craved his presence and they loved him. Jesus never gave in to temptation never did a single wrong thing, never made a single bad choice, never even entertained a single bad thought. And he loved sinners. He sought out their company. (laughs) He avoided some of the religious crowd. Sometimes he didn't have much time for them. But he picked that publican out of a tree. And went home with him. So when we think about loving mercy, then God is putting us in the company of sinners and calling on us then to show mercy because we have obtained mercy. After all, Jesus called us the salt of the earth. And you know, salt is something that does absolutely no good if it is surrounded by all salt and locked up in a shaker or a box or a bag. You get salt out on stuff, and it does a lot of good things. 
But left inside the shaker and all that's around is other salt. It'll sit there till Jesus comes. Unless somebody <laughs> turns it loose. Salt of the earth. It means Jesus sends us out to show mercy because we obtain mercy. Paul described this in 1 Timothy chapter 1 as he spoke of his former life. He said, I was a blasphemer or persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause, for this cause, I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. One of the great things that we can do as God's people is show mercy because we've obtained mercy. Be merciful as our Father in heaven is merciful. That then speaks of, of our, in our, our interaction with sinners, other people who have not come to know Jesus Christ. So doing justly then has to do with being saved, justified. Loving mercy then has to do with our interaction with those who don't know Jesus Christ. And lastly, he says to walk humbly with your God. And this speaks of continuing in our service. Walk humbly. In Scripture, the word walk is used to describe the everyday aspects of life. Work, school, home, family. To walk with God then is to spend our days with Him. To acknowledge Him in every aspect of our existence. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And here this direction is promised to those who acknowledge God in all their ways. As we go about our lives then, we should include God every day. We don't just go visit him a little while on Sunday because our lives include him all the time. I've quoted Adrian Rogers many, many times, and I'll do it again this morning because it fits. Uh, uh, we don't go to church on Sunday to worship. On Sunday, we bring our worship to church. What we are here on Sunday is a reflection, a cum accumulation of what we've been all week. We don't just visit the Lord on Sunday because we spend our time every day with Him. We get up in the morning. Do we tell the Lord good morning? We sit down in our, to eat our meal. Do we thank Him for our food? As we get ready to go to sleep at night, do we take a few moments to reflect over what God brought us through in the day? I was headed to Little Rock this week. Forgive me for using myself as an example. I was headed to Little Rock this week. And uh, going over uh, on the western side of town, which is a trip some of you guys make every day. I almost got hit twice on the river bridge. I mean, I had to slam on my brakes twice. 
How many times do we stop and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that I didn't get hit. Thank you, Lord, for watching over me. Thank you, God, my family's all safe. Thank you, Lord, my kids. Can we go through a, a day and just thank the Lord and then tell Him good night? As we go about our business, we call Him up from time to time. We have a hard time or a difficult time. We call on Him in all our ways, in all our ways, in all our ways. Acknowledge Him. Why? Because we need Him in all our ways. We continually then thank Him for our blessings. So, what does it mean to be good? What does it mean to be good? Well, it means, first of all, that we're saved. We can only be good if we are good. The Bible would speak of a person like Barnabas. He was a good man. And the Bible said that. He was a good man. Why? Because he was full of the Holy Ghost and full of faith. Spirit of God lived mightily in him. He was a man of great faith. And that's what turned him into a good man. It means that we're salt. We love mercy. So we continue to interact with sinners. and We show mercy because we've obtained mercy. We're sympathetic to the plight and the struggles of people around us because we've struggled. We remember the pit that God got us out of. So we're merciful to those who are in the miry clay. And it means we're servants. Servants who walk humbly with our God. We never claim that goodness, I think, for ourselves. Are you a good man? Well, I kind of try to be. Um, the goodness that I have, the goodness that you have, is the goodness that Jesus Christ is working in you. In our flesh, if that's all we had, the Bible says it very plainly, Romans chapter 7, there is nothing good. It gives you a desire to do good, but you can't fulfill that desire, not in the flesh. You try harder, that's what the flesh says. Work harder, that's what the flesh says. But the harder we try and the harder we work, the more we fail. But the Spirit of God lives in you if you're a believer in Christ. And when we're tempted and when we're struggling... Number one, he is quick to forgive. Aren't you glad that our God's a forgiving God? If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins and what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's not written to lost people. That's written to saved people. Our God is able, quick to forgive. But our God is also able to sustain us, to set our feet on the rock, to keep us moving in a path that would honor Him and glorify Him. What's good? To be saved. To continue to be merciful. To walk humbly with our God.